I, I remember I was doing an album with um, Spike from the Choir Boys there, and he loved it there because it was next door right. to a pub. So. Right, so Leaders Farm is um, in the process of closing. You finishing up with the darkness. Dan said that you don't want to. He doesn't want it to go to someone else. Yeah. Um, how do you come to the decision to come back to to Wales or come back to Rockfield? Well, I'd been talking to Rockfield, and they'd been going through a really hard time as we were kind of um, really busy and kind of doing really well. And I developed masterclasses um, before that as well. Um, I developed a whole kind of training and kind of um team building thing which evolved into master classes which had got a young entrepreneur award for as well uh, hasten to add john um uh-huh. put that in your national record of achievement yeah, yeah sitting there at the top and uh, you know just just <laughs> above bruce springsteen and uh, and um yes yeah, so i developed these master classes they were really successful bringing us in good good income and so I'd been talking to Rockford saying, you know, you should do these master classes. This is something I've developed. It's really good money. I've got a format. It really works. And, and seeing that, I was like, no, I really want to come back. And like, I'd built up a whole new client base. And I had loads of albums lined up for that year and now nowhere to record them because Leaders Farm had closed down pretty quickly. Um, like Luke Morley from Thunder was doing The Union at that point and I had this album lined up with him. We'd already done one at... Um, leaders farm with them guys and he was like we've got to do the next yeah. one we go to leaders farm and i was like can't it's just finished and the maker album and bands like the toy and bands like um river 68s and stuff like that all these albums and they and they all booked in to do it that year but we had nowhere to do it and i was like yeah i need to go back it needs to i need to breathe life into the coach house again it can't have it like this and um you know the business is going to pick up and develop the master classes talk to them which they now do, uh, which they now do there from those um, initial meetings and from me implementing that really early on. Um, yeah. As a way, and they they already had it in their head, they were going to do holiday lets and I, they'd started doing them and I'd been doing them at um, Leaders Farm as well. Um, times like Christmas and things like that or when we were having a break and we were on holiday, we'd kind of, you know, um, do holiday lets there. There's, there's multiple incomes, so I introduced those masterclass ideas to them and with the holiday lets then picked up and the master classes um, starting, and then I had a run of like, I know I was even at one point was even going to take over the studio and just rent the whole thing because I had, I was then in there for like a year. And then during this time, the business picked up again and they were doing really well. A couple of big albums came their way and business is really good for them, which it has been ever since now. I mean, they're busier than ever now. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was the decision. And also we'd had my uh, daughter at that point, honey, and it seemed silly if I was going to be busy working. We were already on the other side of the country when we had a like five five hour drive away. It was like, well, we should be near family, near friends. We've got a, a daughter now, so the support, the family network, and all that, the help with it. If I'm away, it'd be great. So the decision was made that we'd move back to Wales, and um, I'd carry on working at Rockfield. Immediately missed my having my own place immediately, but Rockfield's yeah. a second home to me. I'd still been working there throughout my whole time at leaders when i couldn't get into leaders when there was a band you know band of skulls or whatever we're in and i had another album so they were in for quite a while so i'd go to rockfield and do my albums at rockfield so i was still using it regularly anyway still you know part of the furniture part of the family because i've had that i remember that um <clears throat> that feeling that when the studio when a studio closes all of a sudden you're still getting inquiries and obviously the emails are still working mm. so it's like 
I remember that whole thing is like, right, people want to come record an album. It's like, shit, where do I go? Yeah. Um, did you have a backup from like Rockfield? Is there anywhere else you could thought about? Did you look at other studios? Well, that was the thing. I was like, right, because I've, I've had, obviously we'd built up a massive reputation in five years with Leeds Farm and all the mm. producer managers and the labels were still emailing me wanting to go to Leaders Farm. Um, and so I had this constant stream on the email from inquiries and even all the Norwich bands were like, well, what do you mean you're not here anymore? There's nowhere else to record around here. We want to record with you. So I had all this work with the Norfolk bands as well and the other sessions and producer managers. And I was like, right, I need somewhere to work. But obviously Rockfield was starting to pick up, so I couldn't always get in there. So I was like, right, I need another residential studio that um, I can go to that has that same vibe. And I, loved, and I was looking around and I um, stumbled across Red Kite Studios, um, owned by the legendary Martin Levan. And I went there, met him, and we hit it off. I mean, what an amazing guy. The guy is so talented, done so much in his life amazing to talk to i love his kind of no nonsense no nonsense yeah. attitude and he's kind of hidden away up in the mountains in the brecon beacons there in this amazing location yeah. um with this amazing studio that he wants to hire out to people to come so we can have some quality time with some other people but really he doesn't want to because he's like i don't want, I don't want people coming here and spoiling my peace and quiet but it's an amazing place and um him and his wife are amazing human beings and uh, made me feel so yeah. welcome there. And I just loved it. And I ended up doing album after album. And it's where we first met John. It was. Well, it was, I remember like I'd, um, the job had gone out in, is it UK Music Jobs or Music Jobs? Yeah. Um, for an assistant. And at that time I was running a studio in South Wales. Like, cause, like basically I think the job said like residential studios in South Wales. Mm. And my studio was a residential studio. Nowhere near to like you know like level leaders farms like the experience and stuff. We had like a dorm room which slept eight people, yeah. and I kind of realised very early on that's like if anyone wants to sleep, that's not a good idea. Yeah. It's a bit like in um, Giant Wafer, I guess. We got that massive bedroom at the top. Yeah, and I just remember seeing the ads that well, I'm one of them, and then the other ones are like Rockfield, Red Kite, Giant. I knew all the studios like Mona Valley. Yeah. I thought, well, I remember my experience was like I want to. I kind of felt like I'd gone as far as I could in that student. I wanted to learn off other people because mm. I just literally came up and fudged my way through recording. It was like I was quite good at computers. I did demos. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the and downfall I, of people is producers and engineers yeah. I work with is when they come straight out of university and then they're just working in their own studio. They've yeah. never had that experience of how the workflow of producers and engineers who've maybe doing, been doing it for 20, 30 years in a traditional way, the workflow, how things are supposed to be... Um, labelled how things are supposed to be laid out, the workflow, yeah. the methods, the working with the band. They've just kind of learned how to, to kind of do it in a kind of semi-practical way in a, in a university studio, but they've not really worked with And I think it's great for, you know, people who've kind of been through that education system to go and work with other producers and engineers and find out yeah. how it's done. And then obviously implement your own ways and your own methods because they might be better and more suited to you whatever but um i think it's a great way to to really learn yeah so i remember like yeah that was one of the things i remember thinking is that i'm swear i struggle where it's like i think i gone as far as i could with mm. it and i was thinking well what can i do next and it's like right i was just applying for real world i applied to solid state logic a job came up but i had no like other than running my own place i had no real like qualifications or skills as far as i thought and so like position came with you um I think Neve helped me with my cover letter. Yeah. Um, 
my name gave me an advantage because obviously John Constantine stands out yeah, straight away. That's the best name in the world. Um, and then he said, "I'll oh, come down to um, I'm I'm doing uh, pre-production with a band in Redkite." Yeah. I said, "Right, I'll be down tomorrow." Got lost. You did actually, yeah. Because, so did a lot of people. Yeah, I got lost. Yeah, it's really confusing, yeah. like because yeah. obviously, like Martin's place is obviously it's down a country road. It's not signposted because Martin doesn't want you to know it's there. And I think I drove to the two other holiday lets that he has, and I kind of went back and forth. Yeah, we have a There's visitor. Ronnie. Is that? Is oh. Ronnie? The Ronnie. Little Ron. <laughs> yeah, he's not quite Ken. He's, he's not as nice. Ken, but he's all right. No. He's all right. He's not. As, he doesn't look like as much of a he's bastard not. as what I, I was do remind say. every. I do remind him all the time that he's not as good as Ken, but. Uh, well, he hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't learned the skills of how to like kill chickens with <laughs> stairs. Out of his mind. Yeah, I'm just gonna let him out, John. And then we'll <laughs> yeah. carry on. Right, we it. I know. Come on in. You can keep so, that in, John. Yeah, I think I think um, Josh and Joe were in one of the accommodations. With their <laughs> Back in the day when I couldn't get enough assistance, I needed three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a trademark session, wasn't it? And yeah, I turned up, called you, yeah, Neil. You did. Hi, Neil. <laughs> I just got completely yeah. flustered. You gave me a tour of mine. Studio's like, fucking hell, this is amazing. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it's such a great studio, and it? it's a similar a similar thing in the fact that it's lots of lots of natural light, um, countryside, that kind of thing. So yeah, it suited me. It suited me. Loads of accommodation. Um, yeah, the countryside, the peace and quiet, great equipment. I mean, as a control room, it's so well designed. The sound, the monitoring is yeah. amazing. So to work with somewhere with that good like good monitoring for, for the mixing and for tracking yeah it was a godsend i just loved it there i loved that those those few years working there a lot um as as you know a backup to rockfield it was great so yeah that was i just needed that that other place yeah. you know i just needed that kind of a, a bit more of that leader's farm vibe in there for me as well so i needed it yeah i remember the one thing it was because it was in the middle of a valley wasn't yeah. it there was like one spot where the phone signal managed to get out, which is kind of looking straight down the valley. Everyone had to go and take their phone calls in a specific yeah. place. Yeah, it's much better nowadays. But yeah, you had to walk to that little bit, stand there. Yeah. So you're working out of these studios. You were mixing elsewhere? So at that, at that point, I had a kind of home studio. Then I had the studio in Tredigo, kind of in the back room of a community centre. And right. I think of that, I'm trying to think if that was first or the, and then I had one in like a business centre in Monmouth. Did you ever come to that? Yeah, Brianfield was after so what, that. Then the Monmouth one was after, um, was it? You didn't come to yeah, the, the community centre one, did you? It was cool because it was hardly ever used, disused really. So I could use the big, the big hall, and it had a kitchen and toilets and everything. So um, a little lounge, and then we had the big hall, and then I was in the back. But I did most of my mixing and a few overdubs in there. I had two rooms, a recording area and a live room, which I cobbled together. Yeah. Um, but when there was the big room wasn't in use, I think it was only used like three nights a week between like seven and nine. So apart from that, I could use the big hall for recording. It had a garden, and everything. Um, it was out the way, so it didn't disturb anyone. Yeah, and I moved from there down to rented basically like office space in a business park um, and built a studio in there, which I couldn't monitor too loudly during the day because uh, there was all these businesses in there. And I was kind of like in the center of it, which was like it had become a storeroom, but it was a giant office that had like yeah. 20 offices and I was in there. But come four o'clock when everyone left, I could stay in there then and mix as loud as I want. I had this whole business park to myself and uh, would just stay there and mix. So I would kind of start work a bit later and maybe go in at 
at four in the afternoon and kind of work till about 10 o'clock or yeah. something instead do my mix in there did max come to the one up in tradigo i'm not sure if he went to the one in tradigo i think he did maybe once i remember i did i, I remember i was doing an album with um spike from the choir boys there and he loved it there because it was next door right. to a pub so he could go to the pub most of the day which was right next door and um we did an album a frankie miller miller album there which had full of legends like luke morley and um simon kirk and andy fraser um ronnie scottish ronnie team. wood the scottish rugby team bonnie tyler so all these people um yeah the great album to work on with spike who's an interesting character lovely man and uh yeah from and then I think Max came towards the end, Max Rafferty from the Kooks, because um, we'd been working with him. He'd come to Leaders Farm, and then we'd carried on working together yeah. after that. We still work together now. And, um, yeah, and then he used to come to the Monmouth one, I remember. And then I think it was you yeah. and Max who then... Uh, yeah, me and Max have from there to Rockfield. To a Rockfield. room came up in Rockfield, yeah. So, and uh, you and Max did all the prep, yeah. the painting, moved all the stuff out. Because I remember it was in the old... For those who don't know, I'm extremely, extremely allergic to horses and I can't go anywhere near anything horsey, which is why I steer real, um, clear of Amanda Ward all the time. Um, <laughs> severely allergic to yeah, Amanda Ward. you walked Ward. in the first... <laughs> so I couldn't... It was in the old tack room, wasn't it? So I couldn't go yeah. in and clear it out because it was so dusty and full of horse hair. It, it was... Yeah, it was... Ne- it was old storeroom. It was just full yeah. of boxes and we had to move every all the boxes in that room out into the tack room next yeah. door. And you were fine in the box yeah. room, but then we took one step into the tack room. And my eyes like, exploded. I, I can't breathe. I can't yeah. go. It's like so. Yeah. So you did it, and then hoovered it all out, swept it, cleaned it all up. And we installed it, and we installed a nice little yeah. studio, didn't we? Yeah. Well, we we also had to move. What did we have to do? We had to take some stuff out of the tack room, and then I found. I remember, like me and Max, we were like, we had to go and move some stuff into where they kept all the old tapes from the sixties. Yes. Yeah. And that was like a massive shot because these tapes in the sixties were like Dave Edmonds. I think they might have been Budgie or something yeah, in there. Yeah. And <clears throat> this this storeroom was basically it's as you go into Rockfield, it's next to them where the horses are kept. There's like a window or something you've got to climb over. You go through the horses' stables and then go through a corridor. And it's just this open, exposed room. Yeah. And all these damp <laughs> tapes. Damp tapes and that, you just yeah. like think, oh my, yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't even think baking these tapes like no, putting them in the oven, no like warming them up. There's no hope. <laughs> and then I remember saying to Kings, like Kings, if they're no good, why you check them out? He says, "Oh, we can't, we can't check them out." Yeah, they belong to labels. Because what if someone needs them? Yeah, and it's like, I, yeah, because obviously that they're saying it was like they're storing those tapes for the labels. Yes, yeah. yeah. So they didn't have the, no, the can, ownership of the rights. Yeah. So you wouldn't have been able to rescue them, well, the majority of them anyway. Maybe one or two. Oh. I mean, someone did. Someone occasionally comes and digs in there and takes tapes away. You know. Um, yeah, I remember because um, I saw it. I went through it. I saw that there were um, tapes for man. Yeah. And I'd known George because um, so Mickey, Mickey um, Jones's son um, George, I'd recorded up in Porth Call. Yeah. And as soon as I saw those tapes, I just went because um, he obviously the estate passed to him. He said, "George, you know there's tapes for Man there." So then he, I think he got in touch with Lisa and said, "Like I want to get them because it's for my dad." Yeah. It's like these are my dad's rights and stuff. Yeah. So I think he popped down and picked them up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember seeing like budgie tapes and stuff yeah, there. Yeah, you just, you just go in, it's like, Fuck. yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So, yeah, so that was our little mix room, wasn't it, for a while there then? Uh, people from Rockville used to pop in and have chats with you. Yes. <laughs> so I'd have a chair in the corner, and one by one throughout the day, they'd come in, Amanda would come in to hear um, how her day had been going. Lisa would pop in, Kingsley would pop in. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Because I, 
yeah. enjoyed it though. I was chatting with. I was a little break from the music, but uh, yeah. yeah, kind of six hours working on music and six hours kind of uh, chatting to those guys. I think I've been working with you at this point for about a year. Yeah, um, I got to grips with Rockfield within that year, and then I think it was really handy because we just about moved that space, put you in that space, and I was just starting to work in house. And because you were around, like Nick, I got a problem. Yeah, I could just <laughs> nip I over. Do? You, I could come and sort it. Yeah, I could leave you on a session and not worry about it because you know yeah. I was there. Kingsley knew I was there. Kingsley loved having me on site because at ten o'clock at night on a Sunday when they got a problem in the quadrangle and there's no assistant on the session, then I could go over and sort it out Brian for them. Is in the and I was in. You know what I'm like. I'm there every day, working day and night. Yeah. Um, so I was always there. Yeah. So it was great for yeah. the studios to have me on board. But then we didn't need that anymore, John, because another opportunity came along. No. So there was a studio in Abervale when I it was actually the first session I worked with you. So I came to you doing pre-production of trademarks, which we mentioned on episode one. Yeah. And then it was um, I was coming to Rockfield for a day. Yeah. Do a trial session. I think I bought like one pair of clothes or two pairs of clothes or something. They said, oh, do you want to stay? I was like, OK, yeah. 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 OK, I'll stay. Yeah. And then next day is like, oh. Do you want to come stay on? So, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'll, I'll carry on. And on the third day, I think I, I've got to go up um, because my studio were closed. I think I was in the process of closing down my studio and I needed to find another place. Yeah. And I remember like on Instagram, I think, or Facebook or something, I think Ramesh had posted up a post about a studio up in Evervale mm. that he just gone, so it looks amazing. We'd look, we'd looking to do some training video, like training courses mm. or something up there. So I just got in touch with the Evervale Institute and just said, oh, can I just come have a look around? and arranged it all and I said oh Nick I can't do that I'm going to see another studio mm. and then um, there was no one there when I arrived I'd arranged to meet someone that person thought it was the next day so then I think it was Sam actually showed me around the studio and it's like you just walk in it's like this place is really really well kitted out it's amazing but it smells very much of damp I don't think it's been opened or used in a yeah, while and it looks like a classroom and I think I think about a year later they approached. I think was it Steve from Novocaine? Yes, who we mentioned before. The band I used to record demos for in the early days. He knew. I think he knew you were in the area. Yeah, so he knew that I'd moved to up into the valleys, Um, and so he'd Mm. put my name forward um, and said they should get in touch with me because the, the studio was sat there empty, wasn't it? There was no one. Yeah. There was a couple of people coming in now and again, but they didn't have anyone to run it. There's no one who knew how to use it or knew how to run it or anyone with clients. And the yeah. problem with a studio in that area is there's no clients in that area. So you need someone no. who's got clients. Yeah. And um, so they approached you and we kind of went and had a look at it. And I think we, yeah, it was it was a month or so just going back and forth. Do I, I'd just pop up and go, right, what have we got? What's the inventory? Yeah. How does everything work? Yeah. Um, how can we get our stuff in? Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of it didn't and... work, John. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we no. soon found out no there's a lot of <clears throat> yeah the speakers oh yeah the main speakers right like the way the they they got edac connectors are like specific connectors that are really good because like they don't really fall apart and you have 16 on them and i think they'd managed to wire the main speakers out of phase so yeah things like you kind of press play it's like oh, yeah and it was a shame a lot of the outboard was, wasn't really pro pro quality so it was not really usable and then the stuff that was pro quality wasn't really working so it's yeah, and the desk needed a lot of love, yeah. a lot of work, a lot of maintenance. So, yeah, we set about it. Yeah. We, but it was a great space in a great building, yeah. um, a proper studio. And, of course, the expense of the design, the soundproofing, the acoustics, 
the electrics, the air conditioning, all those massive expenses had all been grant funded and, and were done. So we had a kind of blank canvas, didn't we, to create a creative space because yeah. it looked like a, a, a really bad classroom kind of. It was, it was so yeah. well, you know, it, it was kind of so well done in, um, in terms of the install of the floors and the air con and the kind of electrics and the, and the layout and stuff and the acoustics were great. But the actual design was like atrocious and actually the functionality of the studio and the workflow of the studio was pretty bad um yeah it was just it's that idea it's like i think it would been designed by someone who had another studio and he did a mirror image of his place yeah it just doesn't Um, it just didn't work as you know as it was so we've made the most of it and yeah turned it into a really vibey great space and we've had uh, the opportunity to make some big records in there as well, you know, big clients as well as like yeah. local bands and small bands and unsigned bands. And we've had other producers coming yeah. in. And, we, and again, we set about and we, it took off pretty quick. Producers like Gil Norton coming in. And um, I was working with him in Rockfield. Mm. And I just like, it was at the time where I think their air conditioning, did, did they have air conditioning? It went off for a little bit. It went off at one point. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The air conditioning packed in at one point, and I think I was back and forth in the studio, so we got another place up the road, and then we're trying to get him to show, and it was like, um, he was waiting for a session to get confirmed, and then like I think it fell through, and then there was yeah. another band like didn't have the budget to go to a big place, yeah, so Gil, Gil just thought, I'd love yeah. to come try this place. Yeah. So we had like a band called Psycho Comedy That's coming. That's right, yeah. We had a nice, accom- um, yeah, nice accommodation, everything, five-bed townhouse, really nice, and... Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, what other producers came in at that point? We had quite a few different producers uh, coming in, didn't we? Gethin. Gethin Pearson. Yeah, Gethin Pearson. Yeah. We had um, Richard Jackson. Richard Jackson, yeah. Um, so Richard Jackson did a lot of the Pretty Vicious yeah. stuff. Um, we were literally at a point of um, finishing the album when the band got new management. They looked at the deal that they had because they'd been given an advance. There was like a massive bidding war. They did really well. Obviously, like, there was a massive buzz about on the first record. I think Cave Song was done in the studio before we arrived. And then the label had gone around and gone right oh we want you to sound like this and so they go and work with certain producers and they sound exactly like they were because they were really good musicians yeah. um and they said oh no we want it to sound a bit more like um mellow so they go to they go with another producer and say oh what we really want is we want to um we want to be like a bit like 90s brit poppy so we'll put you in with owen morris and obviously like i think everybody died i think the feedback from the band was like the budget um, I think Owen might still be working on 90s budgets. I don't really know. But um, they were going to, like... they. I think they'd gone to ICP Studios in Belgium. Mm. And I think Bryn had just, like, one of the the band's dads was looking... Like, basically spent... It was actually exhausted because he had to kind of keep Owen on straight and narrow to get the stuff recorded. Um, because obviously they're trying on time. And I think they, I think the label... They got a couple of the songs out. I think some of them, some of them sounded amazing. I think um, one of the songs came out. And the label just turned around to him and said, oh, like, to be honest with you guys, I'm a bit disappointed. We thought we'd have more stuff by now. And he said, well, it's not us. We can go into this, the, the original studio and just smash out a couple of tracks. Yeah. So like, I got called in with Rich as the engineer. And we did, I think, five songs in mm. a week or four songs in a week. And it was basically it was going to be four sessions, like split like that, almost like broken yeah. up. So we do, we had done the first two and there was that last one, the last session to do to complete the album. And... New manager comes in and just goes, well, that we've blown through six figures here in advance. Whatever happens to this record, the likelihood is we're going to get dropped if this gets released. So we need to get out now. Yeah. So he pulled the plug, and he's like, I think it was the right decision to do, really, because yeah. obviously. Yeah, but yeah, they spent um, a lot of time here in the studio, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and the, like Good after band. that, like um, 
I think management, new management like uh, Mickey, kind of had people that he wanted to go and kind of approach to, mm-hmm. and like, they they spoke to Big Machine, and they said like, what we'd like to hear is like we'd like to hear some demos that haven't be- we'd like to hear demos of songs that you haven't recorded, that haven't been recorded. Um, anything at the label of touch so we want to hear some songs you haven't done they came in and i think the first song we recorded what what could have been um it's called something else and he's like they've still got songs they're still really good yeah, yeah. and yeah. so it was just ditching me and them in the studio the demos went off and then they got signed to big machine for the album to get released and then i think uh, um who did the album in the end dan austin and then it was produced by dan austin yeah. i think they went to mono to do it yeah yeah, yeah no, they, they're in and out all the time yeah yeah yeah, and we've had no, you know no end of clients, and it's a great mix room, isn't it? You know, the, the monitoring yeah. in Leaders Vale is really good. Um, yeah, the acoustics and recording yeah. as well, like just made some great records there. And uh, yeah, and we're still going strong in there, John. And um, yeah, so here we are, and we're now going to start a new chapter, John, after Leaders Vale. Yeah. So and that was yeah. We can hear all about that in uh, in our next, next in our next episode. episode.